Welcome into episode 104 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan. I'm Luke Lipinski. I can't see either one of you. Where are you? Well, you couldn't see me the last couple weeks either, so. Oh, Jamie doesn't have a protective mask over his microphone. No, I'm very sanitary. So what are these? Are these just so Jamie doesn't have to see us? Is that the plan? Yeah, I don't like to look at people beneath me. Oh, wow. We missed you last week, Jamie. I bet. Our, our listeners apparently did not. Yeah, they, they barely noted. Although, they no, were making one, disparaging one remarks about you on Twitter. No, they one, noticed. One listener noticed. The rest of them noticed the improvement. I don't even know where to go at this point. We were going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford uh, about the St. Louis Blues later on in the show. Uh, we've got some, some news and notes to get to, though. We're closing in. Rookie camp is just over two weeks away from today, for the Coyotes at least, so... Most teams are, are right around the corner. Training camps a week after that, so it's almost here. This is kind of a, it's a good a, thing. A quiet week, yeah, sort of. A, was, you said there are news and notes, so not much. News and note. This is like the uh, the the quiet before the storm. So where do you want to start here? I, you know what? Let's start with uh, nuptials. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Go ahead. No, uh, I thought that, I thought this was your part. No, we should each we should uh, we should say something nice about Jamie. I can't no, think anything. I didn't come prepared. All right. Well, then just... <laughs> next, ne- next week. The, next week's Lipinski's list. Next week, yes. Which I believe we've done two of in yeah. six months. Funny yeah. how that's fallen off, huh? Basically one every 50 episodes. Ever since I stopped writing them. That, yeah. <laughs> there were times when you wrote them and we didn't even get to them. It, it, was, it was a lovely idea we had at a Chinese restaurant in, in Chandler that just never, never came to fruition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's still time. All right. You want to talk about Chaika? You want to talk about Chaika? Well, no, and this is your story. No, Chaika got married. Okay. Where were, general manager. Where were you on the road when you broke this news? I was here. I was here. Huh. Where were you when he got engaged? Maybe that's that's the better well, question. I've been engaged for a while. Okay, so you were probably somewhere on the road. Probably. So that's probably true. That's, that's that was the news. You know, the wedding was just a formality at that point. Yeah. But they got married in Niagara on the Lake, a town I didn't know existed. By the way, um, have you been there? No. It's where really is it nice, on right? the lake? No. Okay. It is on the lake. Just yes. making sure. What, you know, ga- what gave know, it away? Do you know that? <laughs> I don't like that I can't see Jamie because I'm used to be. I usually Ontario. Usually you can see in his eyes when he's about to say something rude. I can't now. I'm gonna have to like move this thing. Okay. Like sneak attacks now. Yeah. So he got married, but he had around the corner. One heck of a honeymoon. One heck of a honeymoon. Okay. I, they went to the Amalfi Coast in Italy. They went to wow. Santorini and did a yacht cruise around Santorini. So. That sounds like uh, a that, good vacation. That BMW commercial Me, money. Yeah, yeah. I was in Lincoln, Nebraska this summer. Yeah, I drove through downtown Phoenix yesterday. Is that that's for, actually that was uh, that actually was a, that was a task. And a half <laughs> that wasn't yesterday. I drove through uptown Phoenix yesterday. I drove through downtown Phoenix the day before. Uh, the hockey news and NHL.com. Does this include the NHL Network's list as well, where they had Connor McDavid ranked above Sidney Crosby? I only saw the NHL Network where they had they're counting down the the top what twenty players at each position. And they did centers, and they had McDavid one, Crosby two. Yeah. Yeah, it's not right. I had stuff to say, but I didn't put it on the list. Craig put it on the list. Was it profane? So I just, I'm going to take a slightly different angle at it. My this, chair's noisy, by the way. I'm yeah. I'm my chair. It's, uh, I like to add sound effects to this podcast, makes, as you guys have noticed. Ba- background, white noise. Yeah. Makes it come to life. Um, People feel like they're here with us. Yeah. That's <laughs> what a gift that is. Uh, it, it feels like... Whoever voted is just sort of trying to convince themselves now that McDavid's the best, which makes me think in six or seven years, people are going to be trying to convince themselves that somebody else is better than McDavid when that probably won't be the case. So if, if we're going to say 
in one breath that Sidney Crosby is one of the 10 best players of all time, or at least on the fringe, and he's playing maybe his best hockey of his career in the last year and a half, then how is anybody better than him right now unless Gretzky or somebody's playing? Unless we're saying McDavid's already one of the 10 best players of all time, which I don't think anybody reasonable is saying. I think that is well said, actually. That's that's perfect because, yes, he is one of the... I mean, with his accomplishments now, you put him in that category of one of the 10 best players in the history of this game. And he is at the top of his game right now, so how do you supplant him as the number one player in the game? I I don't see it. Again, this just feels like that media-driven... Connor McDavid is being anointed. We want he's he's the next face of the of the league, so we're we're pushing him to the forefront, probably prematurely. I, I'm not sure why they're so anxious to push Sidney Crosby out of it. I, 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 I honestly, I mean, I thought that this would probably happen, but I didn't think Crosby would be playing this well. And so then you would look at it and you would say, okay, you know, they're about even, but McDavid's on the way up, so let's make him the guy. But the last year and a half, Crosby has clearly been better. I don't. I don't know that that's debatable. He's won two Stanley Cups, and he's been the reason they've won two Stanley Cups. So wait a year and then make this announcement. Exactly. And what did what did Connor McDavid do in the playoffs, by the way? I forgot he was in was, the playoffs. I'm sorry. Was he the Oilers' best player even in the playoffs? No. No, he wasn't. No, wasn't their best center either. But I, I think if you walked him through the same logic that you just used, Luke, I think you would get people to agree with you. But just in this this abstract concept, big picture, like, oh, yeah, no, it, it's McDavid's time. It's McDavid's time. He's better than Crosby. When you really can't say that at any aspect of his game is better than Crosby's right now. Look, Crosby. Maybe his speed. Okay, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> He's speed, faster. And, and I, I love the argument of, well, the Oilers wouldn't be that good without him. Well, the Penguins wouldn't be that good without Crosby either. I mean, it, McDavid doesn't play defense the way Crosby does, if we're really going to talk about the value of having an all-around player. And... Up until, like, two years ago, apparently Stanley Cups meant everything. And now that Crosby's winning them, they don't seem to mean as much. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's ultimately, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's just an arbitrary mm-hmm. commentary. But I, I do wonder if now, five or six years from now, we're going to see this with whoever is going to be the next great thing then already over McDavid because we just have to rush on from somebody that's actually playing really good hockey right now. I don't know. That's, did uh, did I, you guys get a chance to look at the rest of this list? Which list are you looking at? Are you on NHL.com? Yeah, let's just we can just talk about the centers, right? Okay. Have you have you looked at this list? Did you have any issues with the list? Will you talk and I'll pull it up. <laughs> this is the part where you fill air until yes. I actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I feel like when Craig realizes we need to do that, that's when he purposely stops. You're like I'm the sorry, guy. What were we talking no, about? No, no, nothing at all. Do you. You, you, you haven't looked at this list. You honestly haven't looked at I'm, this list. I I'm thought you trying. would have reacted to it because of your allegiances. No, I try to just distance myself from that. And so I, when I saw the top of the list, I just shook my head and said, well, based on the first two names on the list, it's probably not worth me reading the rest of this Well, read number list. three. Okay, well, I'm looking for it. So somebody it's, else it's, say something. It's Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, yeah, three's Malkin. Do you agree with that? Do you like that? You, you just turned into Kirk Cousins on the podcast. And Austin Matthews was number four on this list. Surprised he wasn't number two, considering. Yeah, exactly. Just, it just felt premature to me. With with I, I didn't I didn't like this list. It would it's not the way I would have constructed this list. I know a lot of other people had problems with it, but those were ba- basically market based for the most part. If mm-hmm. you saw reactions in Boston or in Chicago to neither Patrice Bergeron or Jonathan Taze being in the top ten. Back, Nick Backstrom at five. Mark Shifley's yeah, tenth. Nicholas Backstrom at five. Why um, is Shifley tenth? 
I mean, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pick through each player, but I would rather have Shifley than some of the. I guess, I mean, there's a lot of good centers on this list. Yeah, maybe. but I mean, if you're starting your franchise, I mean, are you starting it with, you're given the option right now, are you starting with Nick Backstrom or are you starting with Tavares or, or Patrice Bergeron? I think I'd almost, uh, Tavares or Bergeron. I think I'd almost rather have Shifley than Backstrom, too. Honestly, if, if we're just... Look, let's just call this what it is. I, Connor McDavid's a great player, and I have no doubt he will be the best player in the league, and that will be at some point when Crosby's still in the league. But if Connor McDavid was on the Carolina Hurricanes, he wouldn't be number one on this list. You're End of discussion. has something to do with him playing in a Canadian market? Is I, that what you're alluding to? I think it just enhances okay. the excitement for him. And it's a very diplomatic way of putting it. Yeah, is, that, is there a better way? It enhances I can the see. excitement. It enhances the excitement. He's not overrated. His That's, excitement uh, is enhanced. It enhances the excitement. Yeah. Where have I heard that before? I don't know. Yeah. Probably it's, nowhere. I just yeah. came maybe, up with it. Maybe associated with certain products, but we won't get into that. Yeah. So. Okay, well, they're not sponsoring the show, so I guess we don't have Not to. yet. <laughs> Keep it up. Maybe they will. Yeah, Luke Lipinski's oh, a Frank boy. Luntz of NHL terminology. I don't know who that is either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Austin Matthews. Fourth on the list, as like you said, that's he had a great rookie season. Yes, rookie. What's what is the actual criteria here? Who do you want to build your team around, or just who's the best player for two? Like this upcoming season, if we're just drafting players just for this upcoming season, and you're drafting centers, who's taking McDavid over Crosby, and who's taking Matthews you mean over for one season? Just for one season, if that's the criteria here. I mean, I understand if you're going long-term, McDavid's 10 years younger. Right, but then it, by but that then logic, then Austin Matthews should be number two. Because if you're thinking long-term, you know, these other guys aren't going to be... And some of them sh- aren't going to be around. Shifley should be ahead of Getzlaff. Yeah, it's, yes. It's, it's a poorly constructed list. Dreisaitl should be higher than 15. Let's leave it at that. Based on what he's making alone, Dreisaitl should probably be number two, right? Ooh-wee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you okay. missed that discussion. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing this list to my attention and, mm-hmm. and ruining my day. Uh, RFA Watch. This is like Craig's own special segment that he likes to go through. We're, we just have so many still. A- any of them going to so get signed? Guys, I, I assume at some point they're going to get signed, but we're, we're now we're getting close to the season. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like we're, everybody's waiting for a deadline now. Okay, once, all right, now, you have to report, now you should report. Everybody's reporting now. We're okay, there's some, there's some pressure. Can you give us an Anthony Duclair update or maybe illustrate what this looks like now if he's not signed in the well, next I three can't weeks illustrate anything over a microphone oh well then so that's, that's a that's a problem you know i i overestimated you then but use your words to he, paint a picture okay enhance the excitement my read on this is that anthony Duclair is just asking for too much money coming off a five goal season yeah i mean <laughs> you don't have a whole lot of leverage when you score five goals. Yeah, you don't have any leverage yeah. after five goals. And, and, you know, if you watch the season, too, it wasn't just the five goals, although the five goals is obviously a huge part of it because that's why he's there to score goals. But he had a bad season for the Coyotes. He did. He Look, had a bad season. I'm one of the biggest Anthony Duclair supporters you're going to find. I think he is closer to that 20-goal-per-season guy that we saw two years ago. But this is not the right time to be negotiating as if you are a 20 goal per season guy yeah, because you no just scored leverage. five. You have no leverage. Timing is everything. Yes. It's not the right time. So my guess is as we get closer to camp, as, as the reality of the season starting starts to sink in with his agent, we'll probably see a deal. But this could, this could take a little while still. But it can't realistically drag into camp, right? He needs that camp. That would be a bad idea. After that season, it would be a really bad idea if he 
held out. Well, well at least they don't have like a new... On what basis are you holding out? Yeah, at least he doesn't have like a new coach or system to learn or anything. So no. coming off of a great year. Exactly. So I, I think that's... Hey, a good first impression with the coach. Yeah, that's also a good way to start. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to get back on track. Oh, I've got a new coach. Yeah, training camp, you know, I'll, I'll get around to it. Rick Tockett of all coaches, too, who I don't think would be overly patient with somebody holding out to start off the first training camp where he's the coach. <laughs> I have to imagine this deal gets done within the next two to three weeks because not only does he have a new coach and he's coming off, uh, I would hope, the worst year of his career when all is said and done even. Certainly it is the, the worst year of the first two years of his career. With Rick Tockett as the coach, he's probably in a much better position to succeed now. Yeah, and you look at the center position too assuming, uh, I'm not even going to assume that, but you've added Derek Stepan. So you're better at the center position. Christian Dvorak is probably going to be a better player this year. So, I mean, you can make an argument from the Duclair camp side that look at the players around him. What did he have? Who did he have getting him the puck? He wasn't playing with Max a lot, obviously, last year. So maybe those things are factors that you can use in the negotiation. But get into camp and prove it because those pieces, there are better pieces there now. But if you... You know, if you hold out of camp, it's it's just going to send a terrible message. And, and get into and get into camp and get the best spot in the lineup available. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, if you're not in camp for the first one or two weeks, they'll find somebody else to play higher in the lineup. And then all of a sudden, it's not going to be as easy to to prove that you deserve a bigger contract next year or two years down the line. Yeah, it's like when you're boarding for an airplane and they let everybody just run and pick their seats. There's no reason to stand there and let everybody else take all the good seats. Correct. That's so, exactly what I was thinking too. <laughs> okay, good. A couple other notes here real quick that Craig wrote out. Jason Demers nixed the trade to Vancouver. Can you blame him? No. <laughs> no, that's, that was my only thought. Thank you. We can just close right there. Okay. Uh, top. Is, is Vancouver, by the way, becoming like the new Edmonton or what Winnipeg still is? <laughs> where you really have to work hard to convince players to come there. Well, it, it as we've said numerous times on the show, it is a very, very beautiful oh, city. It's a great place it to is. live. And when that's the first thing people say about your hockey team, that's like saying, oh, you know, th- they have a great personality, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're talking about the hockey team, you don't want people focusing on how beautiful the city is. The, you, wor- the worst thing you can be in sports is in this mediocre middle. You have to decide what you are. Are you rebuilding or are you not? And if you're rebuilding, you have a chance to at least attract some players that might say, okay, I know I'm not going to win, but maybe they'll pay me more money than anybody else and I'll, I'll come play for you. Or, oh, they're a team on the rise. I, I kind of want to mentor young players. You can't be caught in this, yeah, we have no idea what we are, but clearly we're not a playoff team, but we're also not really rebuilding either, so we're just kind of treading water at the bottom of the standings for until the end of time. Wasn't Mediocre Middle going to be the name of this podcast before we settled on Natural Attrick? It was up there. It was, yeah. it was one of the uh, the top contenders. Uh, quickly, top college free agents that are still out there. Will Butcher is this year's Jimmy Vesey, and he's got a couple other friends out there as well. And he, um, Alex Kerfoot just signed with that uh, Colorado Avalanche today. Okay, so he's got one other friend out there, and <laughs> Blaine Byron. <laughs> it's, I feel like this is sort of, I don't know, Craig, you were saying before we started recording, these are the guys that are kind of overhyped. I mean, you start to look at the names that have been on this list each of the last few years, and the only one that's really doing a lot right now is Justin Schultz, and that took him like three years before he started doing a lot, and a new team. I mean, remember all the hype on Jimmy Vesey? Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. He's going to be a star Dis- in this league. Disappeared. He vanished. Jason Bro, <laughs> did you see Jason Bro's tweet? Uh, yes. Then. College free agents are like the t-shirt cannon. Everyone goes nuts for it, but most of the time... The prize kind of sucks. 
<laughs> that, that is how I feel about most of these. Yeah. I know people were losing their minds locally that the Coyotes did not sign Connor Clifton. Look, it comes down to the evaluation process. And if you listen to what John Chica and Steve Sullivan diplomatically said, Connor Clifton just, they don't think he's a very good player. <laughs> it's, all right? They, they didn't say that. Those are my words. They just did, said it, didn't think it was a fit. You know, John Chica said, with our pool of prospects, we didn't think it was a fit. Steve Sullivan said, I, I don't even think it's about the pool of prospects. It's just about your internal evaluation of the player, mm-hmm. which is to say, yeah, they don't think he's a very good player. So but Their excitement was not very enhanced. No. no. Connor Clifton. Uh, he, was, he was a, a fifth-round pick in 2013 before either one of them were even with the organization. So you take that into consideration as well. It's not like John Chica or Steve Sullivan had anything to do with Connor Clifton even being in the system. Quickly, before we get to Jeremy Rutherford, a listener question for the two of you, Uh if I can just pull it up here. It's from Joe. His Twitter handle is... Hi, Joe. His his Twitter handle is at AZ is too damn hot, which... Not wrong. He's off to a good start. Factually correct. Yeah, say that. Hot all around. With all the clamoring for robo-umps in Major League Baseball, do you think there will ever be a way to enhance refereeing in the NHL? I mean, maybe, maybe with offside, maybe there's something they could do with hashtag lasers uh, on the blue lines. I love it when Jamie uses hashtags. <laughs> uh, with lasers on the blue lines or, 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 you know. Sharks with lasers on the blue lines. That's yes. what I'm hearing. <laughs> yes. Shark- Joe Thornton with lasers. No. Yeah, I think you uh, can do it in a lot of places, right? You can yeah. probably do it with the nets, too. Absolutely. But I don't think you can. I mean, there are just, I mean, certain call, hooking, holding. I mean, there's, I, I, don't, I don't think robot referees would even help in that scenario. They're, they're just... So it'd have to be something where there's a, there's a fixed point, and if the puck crosses it or it doesn't cross it, that can be done with technology. Everything else is kind of going to have to be subjective. I kind of like the idea of John Tortorella chewing out a robot referee. <laughs> and the referee just staring at him and then eventually short-circuiting and that being the end of the conversation. <laughs> All right, we're going to get to uh, the, the continuing summer preview series that we've put together, the St. Louis Blues. we talked to Jeremy Rutherford of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch right now. All right, continuing our summer series of team previews, we welcome in Jeremy Rutherford of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You can find him on, at, on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Uh, Jeremy, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're great here, despite the heat and uh, some uh, recent <laughs> political events. Uh, I understand you're putting in a hardwood floor. How's that process going in? And can you provide me any tips? Because I'm looking you know at what? Let's lo- let's use that term uh, loosely because uh, we did put in a hardwood floor. And when I say we, I mean my neighbor was down on the ground uh, putting it in, and I was standing up uh, watching him. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you are, Craig, but uh, we in the sports media aren't too handy. I'm not, at least, and uh, I tend to uh, watch more than I do help. Supervisory role. That's how I look at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeremy. Looking from the top here. When you look at the last two seasons where this team has won three playoff series, they, they got over the Chicago hurdle. Is it considered progress internally? Is it success? What, what is the view internally? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, when we talk about the St. Louis Blues, we have to look at the big picture. And the big picture is that this team went to the playoffs six straight years. I believe they're only one of a couple teams uh, to do that in the in the past six years. And and so what they've been able to do, guys, is um, continue on with, with one core. When you talk about the, T, the uh, David Backuses and you had T.J. Oshie and, 
and Patrick Berglund, even Barrett Jackman, Alexander Steen, some of the older guys. Uh, but meanwhile, they were building a, a younger core as well. And so you kind of had two groups of, of players at the same time. That younger core features, you know, Vladimir Tarasenko, Jaden Schwartz. I think you can include Alex Petrangelo in there, Jake Allen, uh, the goaltender. And, and so I think what the Blues were hoping is just to not have um, that much drop-off where you didn't have a year or two where you, you just couldn't compete and you didn't make the playoffs. And fortunately for the Blues, uh, they didn't have that. Uh, the young guys were able to step up and, and keep them uh, in, in the postseason. And uh, this year, there was uh, an added element that they uh, changed coaches. You had uh, the team move on from Ken Hitchcock and bring in Mike Yo, And uh, I think that sparked things and has many people in St. Louis believing uh, that the transition is going to happen uh, a lot quicker than, than maybe some had hoped, uh, not only to uh, that, you know, that younger core, but also to the new coach that's in place. And Mike Yo, you get to the second round and uh, you lose to a pretty good Nashville team. I think you got to be pretty happy with uh, how things are progressing. As long as you mentioned the quicker as well, uh, speed was a, a big part of this transition as well. When we had you on before, uh, you talked about their desire to just add more team speed overall. It's, it's, it's no secret. A lot of teams, obviously, around the league are trying to do that as well how what is the feeling about that transition is this team significantly faster do they have more strides to make in that area i don't uh, think they're there yet i don't uh I, but i think that we have to d- define speed uh, you know a lot of people think that you're talking about uh, three or four or five six guys on the team that just have wheels sometimes i watch that winnipeg team and it's amazing how fast they are and there's some teams around the league like that i'm talking about individuals mm-hmm. um but the blues will tell you that uh, you don't have to necessarily have that all the time. As long as you're playing collectively and, and playing together and, and moving the puck uh, fast, then, uh, then then you've got some team speed. I, I don't know if you guys uh, play along with me here for a minute, but remember the uh, soccer practices where the soccer coach would, would put you out there and he'd have two guys stand uh, 20 feet apart and, uh, and one had a soccer ball, and uh, he'd try to make the point that uh, you can kick it to your teammate uh, a lot faster than somebody can can dribble that distance. So, uh, you know, a pass and moving the puck, moving the soccer ball in the analogy that I used, uh, you know, happens uh, fast and it, and it allows you to play with some team speed. So that's what the Blues are trying to build. And I think we saw that happen with uh, Mike Yo when he took over. The team seemed to be playing together, playing collectively on a more regular basis. And I, I think we saw them get a little faster. But let's face it, um, you still need some guys who can skate well, uh, the Blues don't have many of those. They do have a couple of young prospects coming up, and, and they've drafted them for that particular reason. A guy like Jordan Cairo uh, picked up a couple years ago comes to mind. So they're going to try to uh, add that element to their game, but uh, if we're being honest, it's just not there yet. Kind of along those same lines, which prospects may, will, do you think will make the biggest impact? What, what do you see the future of Vince Dunn and you know, Jordan Cairo, as you mentioned? What do you see their future scoring potential or playing potential on this team? What do you think it will be? Yeah, the Blues have a number of quality prospects, I think. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, people, organizations tend to overhype their pro- their uh, prospects. And, you know, not all these Blues players, the couple that you mentioned, they're going to turn out. But I think when you look at the year Vince Dunn had with the Chicago Wolves, he was an all-star. Uh, he, he was terrific for them. So he gives you a guy who's kind of smaller size, but uh, he can uh, move the puck out of the zone quickly, as we just discussed, and and get that get it going and, and get in transition. Um, you also talked about uh, Jordan Cairo. Uh, look, a, a lot of Blues fans were upset in St. Louis when uh, D- 
Doug Armstrong decided to trade Brian Elliott. He thought they thought that the tandem of Allen and Elliott was better than one of them uh, as the the one A. And so, uh, you know, those fans, I think, will be happy to find out that with that draft pick that the Blues got in exchange for Brian Elliott in the Craig in the trade with Calgary, uh, the Blues did get Jordan Cairo. And so he might be another year away or two years away. He still has another year of junior eligibility. But when you add uh, a speedy guy like Cairo. Uh, to a, a prospect group that includes Tage Thompson, a first-round pick from a year ago. Uh, and then also, I'll throw another name at you, keep this name in mind, Klim Kostin. He's a Russian, K-L-I-M, and then Kostin, K-O-S-T-I-N. Uh, the Blues traded Ryan Reeves in this past uh, draft and got a first-round pick from the Pittsburgh Penguins. I know when Ryan Reeves went to Twitter, and he saw the chatter that he was being traded for a first-round draft pick. Even he didn't believe it. He said, I'm not worth a first-round draft pick. Uh, the Blues had to take take that offer from the Penguins. They did. They used the pick on Kostin, and he's gonna he, he's gotten out of his uh, Russian contract, and he's going to be in training camp with a chance to make the team. Uh, so the Blues, I believe, uh, you know, they're not all going to turn out, but I think their they're, uh, odds are that uh, two or three of these guys could turn out to be good ones. All right, you mentioned the Reeves trade. Let's look, take a look at uh, another significant offseason deal. Yori Laterra for Braden Chen. Obviously, there were draft picks involved in this as well. What, talk to me about the, the thinking behind this deal and what they think they accomplished. Yeah, what happened here, guys, was uh, they drafted Yori Laterra, I want to say 2008, but he didn't come over. He played in Russia for a couple years, and uh, they knew that he had some chemistry with Vladimir Tarasenko because they, they played together in the KHL. And so when Vladimir Tarasenko gets drafted and, you know, he's showing all kinds of promise. Uh, they talked Yori Laterra into coming over. And that first season, we're talking three years ago, those guys uh, looked pretty good together. Uh, they played them together, and I think Laterra had 40-plus points as a rookie, albeit an, an older rookie. I think he was 27 years old uh, by the time he, he came over. Uh, and so the Blues, based on one year's production, looking ahead at all the contracts they'd soon have to get done, talking about David Backus uh, and Jaden Schwartz, so on and so forth, they said, hey, let's get Laterra done now. 40 points as a rookie. He's a guy that you can probably pencil in for 50 at least moving forward. So they signed him to a three-year extension, uh, doubled his salary up to $4.7 million, and he just did not live up to it. Only uh, 22 points last year. He was a healthy scratch in the first round of the playoffs against Minnesota. Blues fans were ready to pick his bags uh, they didn't have to. Doug Armstrong did. Uh, Army sent uh, Yori Laterra to Philly, as you mentioned, for Braden Shen. And uh, I think Philly fans were a bit surprised by the trade. Uh, Shen's been pretty good the past couple years, 25 goals last year, uh, playing primarily on the wing. The Blues are going to put him at center uh, where they need some help. The, the one criticism of, of Shen is that a lot of his production does come on the power play. 17 of his 25 goals last year were on the power play. That's good news for the Blues, who need some help on the man advantage, and they hope that uh, Shen can beef up that five-on-five, even strength uh, production, and help them out in the middle. How, how will the how will Vladimir Sabotko's return over a full season impact the Blues? I think uh, good. I think that uh, you know it's easy to get excited about a guy who came over late. You know he. He had been uh, in the KHL after that contract dispute with the Blues for three seasons. That's a long time to be away from the NHL. It's one thing to be a you know seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year old, I think, and and you know come over and make the transition to the NHL. But here's a guy in Saboka who was in the league in the NHL for several years. Then he goes to the KHL for three, and then he comes back 
for the final game of the regular season last year, uh, the last two games, I should say, and uh, and played really well. And uh, he was a factor in the playoffs. So uh, they when they brought him over, they got him to agree to a three-year contract extension. So as you mentioned, uh, they're going to get a good look at him uh, in a, for the first time in a long time uh, for a full season. And I like him. I think that he's versatile. He can play the center of the wing. He's terrific on face-offs. The Blues struggle. Other than Paul Stastny, they struggle on draws, and Vladimir Saboka is going to help them there. The one thing that they didn't see from Saboka last year was that feistiness that he showed before he left three years ago. He believes that it's going to take some a little bit of time for that to come back. But if he's got a training camp and gets some games underneath his belt, I think we'll probably see that come back. Jeremy, I don't know how much stock you put into these preseason predictions, but I've seen some where Vladimir Tarasenko is considered a legitimate MVP candidate this season. Just your thoughts maybe on what what there is still as as an upside for Tarasenko in, and if you think he belongs in that conversation. I don't think so just quite yet, and that's not to take away from anything he's done. I mean, we're talking... Uh... We're talking a 40 goal scorer. We're talking a guy who beefed up the assists last year, and you know he's he's a 70 point guy. Uh, I'm, we're talking about a guy who could be a 50 goal guy this year. I really do believe that. Um, but we're talking about a guy also who needs to be an all around player. And I realize, uh, you know, the defensive game is probably never going to be uh, to the point where you're saying, "Wow, he's a Selkie uh, candidate." You know, that's not going to be the case. Um, but I think Vladimir Tarasenko probably needs to be a little bit more uh, consistent and uh, and give you a little more of a well-balanced game. And I think he's made strides in that regard. I think we've seen some better play in the defensive zone, in the neutral zone. Um, but, the, but the facts are there are just some stretches where uh, you don't feel like you're getting uh, Vladimir Tarasenko at 100%. He's Mr. Clutch. I'll give him that. I mean, if you're down a goal and it's getting late, uh, he's going to score you one. He scores a lot of game winners as well. Uh, but Vladimir Tarasenko, for everything he's done, uh, I think there's still some work to do before you can put him in that MVP category. Yeah, Staying on the young players, what do you think Colton Pareko's ceiling is now with Kevin Shattenkirk gone? I, I think it's through the roof. I really do. I mean, uh, this will be my 13th season covering the St. Louis Blues, and I certainly haven't seen a young defenseman uh, come up through the ranks and, and impress and be able to hand him, handle himself so well as I have uh, Colton Pareko. I mean, we're talking about some pretty good ones, too. Uh, Alex Petrangelo coming to mind. Uh, Colton Pareko, uh, they started talking about him in St. Louis a couple years ago. They, they just said, hey, this guy's six foot five. he's 225, he can skate, he's got offense to his game. And all those things are true, but probably the one thing that didn't get talked about a lot that is just flat-out amazing is he can – get out of a jam like no young defenseman I've ever seen. It, you know, he can be in the corner uh, in his own end with uh, two four checkers, and somehow uh, seconds later you'll see him skating between or around those two guys with the puck. And, you know, I talked to John Cooper, the Tampa Bay coach, uh, this year, and he said every team in the league wants a guy like Colton Preco. And, you know, you talk about him signing the new deal. Uh, he got $5.5 million this uh, offseason. Uh, on a five-year deal, that's big money. I don't think he's going to have to worry about uh, increased pressure and uh, the other team circling his number because they've been circling number 55 for about a season and a half now. Um, he's terrific, and in terms of uh, how it's going to affect him with uh, the departure of Kevin Shankirk, I don't really think it will because if you look at his ice time 
when Kevin Shattenkirk was here, he was playing 21, 22 minutes power play, uh, things like that. So the only thing that happened when Kevin Shattenkirk left is that uh, he was automatically in that top four, but uh, he was already uh, logging that kind of ice time. Uh, so that's nothing new to him, and I think he's ready for it. Speaking of young players who signed five-year deals, Jaden Schwartz, of course, signed that one a, a year ago, I believe it was, uh, five years, $26.75 million. What do they need from him? Do, do they need increased production for, from him? Do they need more of that promise that he showed maybe a, a little bit earlier in his career? Or are they satisfied with the curve he's on? Yeah, no, they need more consistency out of him. You know, he had 28 goals and 25 uh, first couple years in the league, you know, early in his career. Um, and he hasn't gotten back to that point. He's had a couple injuries. One, he had a, uh, you know, broken, whatever you want to call it, dislocated ankle that cost him a lot of time. And even when he came back, as you guys know, it takes a while to recover. And so the speed wasn't there and the endurance wasn't there. Uh, he played a lot of games last year. And what happened is he just went through a god-awful stretch where he couldn't score for anything. And, you know, I think he was still doing some of uh, the Jaden Schwartz type, th- type things, the uh, the back-checking, um, the tenacity. Uh, you know, he's a guy that when he's on his game, people can really follow him. So I think you were seeing some of that stuff, but he was kind of snake-bitten around the net. And, and finally he got one, and, and uh, that opened things up for him offensively. But I want to say he had uh, one goal and about a 25-game stretch. So they're going to need, need a, a lot more consistency from him. And, hey, look, with David Backus moving on, I mentioned T.J. Oshie moved on a couple years ago in the Troy Brower trade. I mean, you talk about that second core, uh, when you talk about guys up front, uh, you're talking about uh, Jaden Schwartz and, and Tarasenko. Now you're so um, those guys have to get it done. So you can't have a guy making five plus million dollars like Jaden Schwartz scoring once every 25 games. It can't happen. He's got to be a lot better. How about a guy like Ivan Barbashev, 12 points in 30 games last year? What are his expectations for him heading into his second NHL campaign? Well, I think they're uh, they're pretty high. I, I think they are. Uh, last year, I didn't think we'd see him. I thought that they really felt he was playing well in the American Hockey League. Uh, with the Chicago Wolves and felt like he was getting great ice time playing for Craig Berube. And uh, the only reason I think they had to bring him up was towards the end of the year, the Blues had some injuries, and uh, and they brought him up. And uh, towards the end of the year, he stepped in for Paul Stastny. I couldn't believe it. You know, you think a guy's going to come up in his first NHL action. You know, he's going to get that, that fourth-line duty. Um, but uh, after he did that for a few games and the Blues lost Paul Stastny, they said, hey, what the heck, this guy showed some talent in the AHL, let's give him a shot. And he handled his own for, I think it was, you know, 10, 14 days. Uh, really good job uh, filling uh, Stastny's shoes. Uh, but then you just started to see some things towards the end where you could tell that, you know, he was battling a little bit. And, and then Stastny came back, so he reclaimed his spot. Um, Barbashev, I think, got some playoff games, but uh, then fell back out of the lineup. So I think what we can take from it is that uh, it was his real first taste of everything. And like a lot of prospects, he showed some some promise. And, and he's going to hopefully, uh, the Blues are probably crossing their fingers, that he put himself in good position this offseason with a good uh, a summer of training. He's a guy like all young guys that needs some strength. Um, but there's opportunity on this team. I mean, he's not going to play that top-line center spot. You know, Paul Stastny's coming back for another year. Some opportunity, I think, in the top nine, and him being a versatile guy, Barbashev, can play center, can play left wing. Uh, they're going to give him a real good look in training camp. One last thing before we let you go, Jeremy. Um, 
Walk us through what's what's happening with the renovations at Scott Trade Center. Why are there lawsuits associated <laughs> with it? And do you need some help handling the fake relocation rumors? Because we have a lot of experience with those here. Yeah, yeah. No, we need some help. If, if there's anything you guys can do, uh, I think St. Louisans would, would welcome any suggestions. Hey, look, it's been a tough couple years with St. Louis sports teams and the city. Uh, first, you have uh, the battle between Stan Kroenke and the Rams versus the city to get the new NFL stadium built. And uh, now we know, looking back, that uh, Stan kind of had it in his mind that he was going to move in, move to L.A. all along. So the, the city felt jilted about that. And then you had a situation where uh, MLS basically committed to bring an expansion franchise to St. Louis if they vote to put the uh, to, to put the, the stadium up, and that was uh, vetoed. The the, uh, the public voted against it, and so now you have these uh, renovations that are being asked of the city at Scott Trade Center, and it's been a battle. People have to keep in mind that uh, the Blues do not own the building; the city owns the building. The Blues lease it, and so this isn't a situation where it's just the Blues asking for. Uh, public funding to help their own cause. This is a situation where this building brings a, a lot of money to St. Louis with college events, with, with concerts, so on and so forth. And these people have said, we will stop coming unless you get this building renovated. So the Blues are only going to be the part beneficiary of this building being renovated, but they've had to put a big fight up with the city um, to try to get this to happen. So uh, you don't have enough time in your show for me to get into all the details about what's going on, but uh, for some reason the city, once again, is, is dragging its feet in regards to a sports team here in St. Louis. Okay, it's safe to say that, that this team is not moving across the state to that other shiny new arena waiting. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's one nice arena. I don't know how many times you guys have been in that Sprint Center. Uh, it is something to, to, to see. And, you know, I wish that Kansas City would get a, a hockey team, an NHL team. I think that would be a terrific rivalry. And there's some passionate fans there in Kansas City. Uh, but, no, I do not think the St. Louis Blues are in any jeopardy of moving to uh, Kansas City over these renovation issues. All right. That is Jeremy Rutherford from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Again, you can find him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us with a hectic schedule of, uh, I won't say laying that hardwood floor, but at least uh, supervising, as I put it before. I'm one of the best supervisors you've ever seen when it comes to watching that kind of stuff. So uh, that's the one thing I can do. But yeah, no, thanks anytime. And I appreciate you guys working with my schedule. All right. Thanks again, Jeremy. And that was Jeremy Rutherford of the St. Louis Postage Batch. You can watch, you can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. And he had a couple, a lot of interesting things to say. But let's specifically talk about Jaden Schwartz and Colton Pareko and the Blues needing just a little bit more consistency. He said from Schwartz, who has at times for week or even two week periods can just light up the scoreboard, mm-hmm. but then he also disappears a lot. Yeah, and it, it, when you look at his production from the 2013, 14, and 14, 15 seasons, I think that's probably the standard that they're setting for him as a player. Of course, when you have an injury, it, as Jeremy said in that interview, it's tough to know how long it impacts you, how long you know it will take for you to get back to your regular self. But I think it's fair for everyone to say this season he, he had better show it again. Of course, he signed that five-year deal. It's a very lucrative deal. You're basically asking him to be one of your elite scorers. He's an elite scorer with that kind of money. So you need him to get back to not just a 19-goal season. This is a guy who probably has to produce 25-plus. And I'm sure the Blues are looking at him and saying, we'd like this guy to be a 30-plus goal scorer at this point. So see if he can get back to that. But on the flip side of that, Colton Pareko, a guy 
I mean, when you when you feel very confident saying goodbye to Kevin Shattenkirk, and we know their their cap situation is what it was. They they weren't going to be able to afford Alex Petrangelo, Colton Pareko, and Kevin Shattenkirk. That that's a lot of money to tie up. But this guy is a luxury. I mean, you you look at his potential in this league, and, and he's right. You talk to people around the league. This is one of the up and coming star defensemen in this league. So it really it speaks well to St. Louis's drafting process, their evaluation process that they're able to replace a guy like Kevin Shattenkirk and not even bat an eye. Yeah, third round pick in, in 2012 and only 24 years old. And, and defensemen take typically more time to mature than forwards that are, that are drafted even high. And, you know, Jeremy brought up his size. I mean, it, his, his agility for somebody his size yeah. is a, such a rare commodity. He's, he's so good with the puck. He's so good in the corners, as, as Jeremy pointed out, that how, the point where it's almost surprising where you think there's no way he can get out of this situation yet he's able to and he's going to play even more minutes now and and Jeremy made a point to say he's been playing a lot so this is not a case of he's going to play 10 more minutes a night than he was before but he's going to be relied upon more often he's going to be the focal point not only on a positive side for what the Blues are looking to do but he's going to be a focal point for other teams as well yeah but you you all indications are he's going to be able to handle that role uh, assuming they're going to be playing at Scott Trade Center as well, of course. But yes. I keep, you know, I keep thinking about this. I'm sorry to just go off on that tangent again, but Kansas City's had that beautiful arena for so long. They don't have an ownership group that wants to bring a hockey team to Kansas City, which is kind of a big problem. But a little bit. It, it's so easy to spend other billionaires' money. Yes. It really is. Oh, why don't you just bring in a hockey team? Well, maybe they don't want to. But in terms of facilities that are available out there, like it, it might be at the top of the list. It really is a beautiful place. But would hockey succeed there even if they had an ownership group? And maybe that's why they don't have an ownership group that wants to bring one there. Because you look at that market, I, I just can't see it. And, and then you then you look at Seattle, you look at Houston, and the other, other markets that might be available that could probably support a hockey team better. Quebec City maybe as well. It's probably still far down this that list. I, I hope they're they're breaking even. I hope they're making enough money in that with, without you know an anchor tenant. But... I just can't see hockey ending up in Kansas City anytime soon. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic because just because they're passionate about sports, about football and about baseball, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to hockey as we've kind of seen in some other markets where, you know, it's, as some of the markets you mentioned are just more, they're more, they're, they're used to hockey. They've watched hockey. They're around hockey from the time that they're kids. And there's just the impact that of being around a sport your entire life, even if it's not a pro sport. Is, uh, is incredible. But I uh, want to thank uh, Jeremy Rutherford once again for coming on to the podcast and Luke Lipinski for being very silent on the back half of the show, surprisingly. I don't know, uh, don't know what happened to that guy, but uh, we will check on him. And uh, thank you again for listening to the Natural Hat Trick podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or you can see us on Audioboom or fanragsports.com.